Lord, we, um, we bow before you now. Uh, thank you, uh, Lord Jesus, uh, that you were both lion and lamb, uh, that you are unquestionably strong where we uh, desperately needed you to be strong. And you um, took on and uh, bore our weakness, uh, became weakness uh, for us, uh, humbled yourself, uh, surrendered yourself, emptied yourself. Uh, you're the lion and you're the lamb, and we needed you to be both. Uh, and so you're faithful, Lord, uh, to us. You're good uh, for us, uh, and we, in a moment of sanity and singing and opening up your word, uh, plead with you to awaken our hearts uh, to the beauty of what you've accomplished on our behalf. And would you set us free to be people uh, who are priests and declarers of that good news uh, to a world that is thirsty, uh, who is either feeling like lambs uh, being slaughtered or trying to be lions for ourselves. Uh, may we let you be you. Uh, we ask this in your name, God, us now as we open up your word. Amen. All right, have a seat. And welcome uh, in-person people, uh, as well as uh, on-camera people and at-home people. Um, it's good uh, to be worshiping together tonight. And uh been praying for us uh, for this evening. I know uh, this is not ideal uh, but it's, it's good for us to be together. It's good for us to open up the Word. So I've been praying that your hearts would really lean in to what the Lord has uh, for you and for me. So we've been looking over these past few weeks in this series, The Priesthood of the Believer, at really this massive identity shift that has happened for people who are Christians. We've been challenging y'all and calling us as, as a body of believers reasoning with you from the scriptures would you would you pick up this identity would you grab hold of it or let it grab hold of you this new role or this new status this new call that you and I have the scripture we've we've read about it in first Peter 2 calls us we are a royal priesthood that's who we are now we're we're this royal body of priests because of what Jesus has accomplished and as a result of that there's, there's work, just like the priests in the Old Testament had work to do, but we work now from a completely different place. We have different type of work than the Old Testament priests, and we have different reasons that we go about that work. We are set apart now to be ambassadors of His grace and His love, to be cultivators and keepers of, and tenors of, of this garden, which is His world. We are we are, like we looked at with Abraham, we're to be blessers, right? We are blessed, and we, we live a life that pours out blessing on the world around us. We make the grace, one commentator said it this way, the grace of the invisible king visible. We make the grace of God visible to the world around us. I'm, I'm a, literally, I'm like a billboard on the side of the highway. I, I'm a receiver of God's grace. So we've been, we've been talking about that uh, over these last few weeks, and we're going to look at it once again tonight through Hebrews 9, 11 through 14. Um, and I would love for you to just kind of put this header over your, over your mind that 
that what we're about to talk about tonight, because uh, you're going to hear a lot about, about your conscience, about what, what actually establishes your, your conscience, right? Um, th- this whole sermon is about what is the mindset of us as priests, okay? What, what sort of mindset do we have as we go out into the world, all right? So this is Hebrews 9, 11 to 14. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, not a part of, his, of this creation. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord, apply this word uh, to our hearts. Uh, apply this word to our conscience. Uh, Lord, may we, may we um, have renewed hearts and minds uh, as a result of what you're about to teach us uh, through this scripture. Uh, teach us now, Holy Spirit, we pray in your name. Amen. All right. So, so we're going to talk about the conscience. Uh, there, there are three things. I'll give you kind of three headers that we're going to look at this passage uh, so you can kind of fit everything under there if you're a note taker, all right? And if you're not taking notes, that's cool. That at least helps me know that you're tracking with me a little bit because I can't see anything except for your eyes, right? All right, so three things. Behind the curtain, right? Curtain torn, second point. And then third, uh, this new conscience, right? Behind the curtain, curtain torn, and then a new conscience, First thing, behind the curtain. There in verse 12, I read something that says this. He, and it's talking about Jesus, it's actually in verse 11, went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that's not made with human hands, that is to say, not a part of the creation. He did not enter that tabernacle by the means of blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood. Now, for all of us, we read that, and if, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament sacrificial system, that probably sounds really not modern and kind of confusing to you. Uh, but all of that for the reader of the day, when they heard that he entered, Jesus entered the most holy place once and for all by his blood, they would have had a really fully developed understanding of what that meant, right? Because that, that most holy place was at the very, very center of the tabernacle, right? It was a part of the tabernacle, and, and, and there was a curtain that hung that basically separated other parts of the tabernacle from the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was the place where God's unique presence dwelled. And one day a year, by one person a year, the great high priest, he would go behind that curtain after doing all sorts of really specific outward washing rituals and preparing animal sacrifices. He would go in one day a year to make a sacrifice on the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. One guy, one day a year, would get to go behind the curtain and get to be uniquely in the presence of God 
as a representative for his people. And he did this year after year after year, exactly in the way that God required, because God said that's what's required for the forgiveness of sins. That blood was required for sins to be atoned for. You couldn't just go into the Holy of Holies. It literally, I, I, I couldn't find any record of this. I wondered if there was like, like a, you know, like a Las Vegas betting system in the Jewish culture where it was like, what's the over-under on the high priest going in to the Holy of Holies improperly and dying? Because they would literally, they would tie a rope around this guy in case he went in not clean. Kind of drag him out. It's like, Bill, you're up next, I guess. You know, I don't, I don't know exactly how that went, but how many, how many guys got lost in that process? But that's how serious it was. You couldn't just go in. You couldn't even get to that altar, the Ark of the Covenant, without going past multiple other altars where you had to do multiple other sacrifices, right? It's like when you were a kid, I used to play uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. You guys, you guys are Nintendo? How old am I, right? How old are y'all? You had to fight Bald Bull, right, before you could get to Mike Tyson. There was no, like, skipping to Tyson. There was all sorts of process that had to be done in order to get into this holy of holies. And it had to be done over and over and over. There was a curtain up. (laughs) And there were sacrifices that had to be made. And there was even a need for this most holy place where God's presence dwelled. And what I I want you to to lean into just, and I could say a lot more about the Old Testament sacrificial system and and specifics about the Holy of Holies, but what, what this says to us is this. It shows us the seriousness of the problem of sin. That when sin entered the world, it broke everything. And this Old Testament sacrificial system, it, it was an act of God's grace to give it to, to the people. I know we don't see it necessarily that way because it was a lot to do. I mean, it, I literally thought about it like with some of my dear friends who have diabetes, which you can't cure. They have to manage it all the time. There was this constant perpetual management of, of cleanliness, but, but could never be fixed, right? The only thing that could atone for sin was blood, That meant the price of admission was high, but the the blood of bulls and goats, that could only do it outwardly, right? We could only be cleansed outwardly clean there, it says in verse 13. But but we know that that the real issue with sin, it's deeper than an outward thing, right? Sin actually has its roots in the heart. It's an inward thing that needs to be fixed. A deeper cleansing than this kind of outward washing. The curtain was up. Sacrifices needed to be made because the problem of sin was serious. And I think we know this. I I think without even going to the Old Testament, you and I know this, right? That when there's sin or there's brokenness in a relationship for forgiveness to be made, right? It costs, doesn't it? Like we, we, we know that sense or that feeling of an eye for an eye, right? Have you ever had somebody? I mean, we all have had this. I want you to think about it. Have you ever had somebody in your life that really hurt you, that really brought real damage to your relationship? Like, I, 
Have you guys been, you guys, who, who watches Netflix? Oh, come on. Right? Have you seen the series Away? Go watch the series Away. It's about space and Mars, but it's not like super sci-fi. It's like deep relationship stuff. So, but it is space and Mars and that stuff too. There's this astronaut, Misha. He's a Russian astronaut. It's about, you know, like this Russian astronaut. And there's a, a guy from India and uh, a woman from China, I believe. And they're all basically on this, in this mission to space. And Misha, he's the astronaut that has been in space more than any of the other astronauts. And there's, you know, all these scenes where they flash back to, like, other parts of their lives. And there's a scene where Misha had come home from a space mission. And it, his daughter was just this little girl. And uh, his wife had died while he was on the space mission. So, yeah, if you don't want to cry a bunch, don't go watch these shows, okay? But he promises her. I mean, she's, like, pleading with her, Dad, you know, please do not ever leave me again. Please, please, please. And he promises her in that moment. And then clearly, this is later in life, he's in space again. And... They're doing little FaceTimes on their little space chats. And finally, Misha is really at this place. Misha is the Russian astronaut, this place where he's really prepared to own the fact that I made a promise to you and I broke it. And I didn't break it once. I broke it a bunch. And now you're a mom with little kids. And he he has this just clarion moment where he confesses, "I, I know what I did. He's coming completely clean with her. And she, he goes, forgive me. And she says, I can't. I just can't forgive you. No matter how you ask it, no matter how much you own it, I can't, I can't, I can't. And then they're like, and like we're in space now and we can't see each other anymore. And that's how the scene ends. So get excited, right? No. But it's a, it's a powerful picture. It was a powerful picture of this. You know, when there's real sin, when there's real hurt, you just can't look the other way. You can't just say, oh, it's no big deal, Right? I mean, we know this as human beings. We know this as those who are made in the image of God. If you've ever been offended like that, to forgive, it's not just a once and for all sort of proposition. Isn't it true that every time you see that person, that there's oftentimes even seeing that person can kind of reopen the wound? I need more blood. I need another sacrifice. I need something to make this right again right? Every time you're in their presence, just like every time they went into the presence of the Lord, more blood. I need more blood, either your blood or my blood, because that's what, that's what forgiveness is, right? Forgiveness costs you or it costs me. But what we're looking at here is, is there's a third way. There's another alternative from you give me more blood or I have to give more blood, and it's called the blood of Jesus for us both, right? There's a way to an eased conscience, to healing in relationships that keeps me out of saying, I need more blood from you, or I have to give more blood because he bled, right? So the curtain was up, and the sacrifices were necessary because the division was real. And who could pay the cost? Who could stop the cycle? Who could cleanse our consciences? Well, the curtain got torn. That's what verse 12 says. 
He did not enter by the means of blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The curtain got torn. It says that Jesus Christ came as the high priest and went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that wasn't made with human hands. So here he's mashing together a bunch of different parts of, of of the Old Testament tabernacle, and he's saying, Jesus, his body was the tabernacle. And it wasn't a tabernacle that was made by human hands because he's God. And Jesus, he didn't enter by the blood of goats and the blood of calves and the, and the ashes of a heifer. He entered by his own pure, faultless blood. And he was the sacrifice. He was the great high priest. He fulfilled every part of it, is what this is saying. It's like I was at Jimmy John's the other day, and I walked in there and I realized, you're the only person in here. This guy behind the counter, and he took my order, and then he walked over and he made my sandwich, and then he bagged up my sandwich, and then he went and cleaned up everything afterwards. I was like, you're literally a one-man show, and that's what this is saying. Jesus is every part of it. He fulfilled everything that was required. And as a result, Because this curtain is torn, now there's no more distance between us and him. We have access to the very presence of God, not just one person one time of year, you and me have something that the Jewish people couldn't even fathom being possible for them. We can run into and remain in his presence, not on the merit of our own works, or kept out because of our lack of good works. So I got it right or I blew it, but because of the finished work of Jesus. Listen to this. This is Hebrews 10, 19 to 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. You hear that? You have confidence now. Your conscience is solid you have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. This would have been absolutely crazy to the hearers of the day. I can draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance. You hear what that's saying to your conscience? I have total and complete assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from what? A guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. This is so significant, y'all. It's significant on a, on a couple of fronts. One, in every other major world religion, there is, there is no other God that functions like this that all other world religions, and I think you could argue all of our worldly relationships, you have to make the sacrifice in order to get into the good presence, don't you? I gotta make the sacrifices. It all depends on you. Well, not here. He's saying, no, no, no. The, the, the separation was real. The curtain was up, but the curtain has been torn, and I did it all. I was the one who passed between the pieces I was the one who was torn apart so that the covenant could be kept. 
That's the, that's the God that you know if you're in Christ. That's the God that you have if you're in Christ. It's one that doesn't say, hey, come on, keep making the sacrifices, and then we'll see if you get in. He's saying, no, 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 you have confidence to enter into my presence because of what Jesus has done. And something else powerful happened for us here. There's a difference between, you know, it keeps saying here, we have this, this new great high priest, not like the old high priest. The Old Testament high priest, they would go in for the people. They would make these sacrifices, and they would come out. They would go in as a representative of the people, and then they would come out of the presence of God. But with Jesus, something powerful happens, y'all, and it's this. He brings us in with him. He doesn't just say, hey, I'll go in and I'll atone for your sin and I'll rep you before the Lord. He literally says, they're with me, like in the VIP section, right? Like, I got to go to the Masters one time. Some of the Creve Hall people have heard this before. And basically, when you're with somebody with a green jacket on, you get to go wherever they go. But if you lose and are not with the person with the green jacket, you're in trouble. But when you're with somebody with the green jacket on, you can go anywhere that they go, but you're with them. And that's the picture. He takes us into the presence of the Lord. He brings us into the good things now and to come. We don't just have representation. We have access. Listen to this in Ephesians 2. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sins and transgressions. It is by grace that you are saved. And God, listen to this, this is present tense, y'all, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. I don't just have representation, I have a seat. The curtain's torn. I'm on the inside now. If that's true, then what I'm about to talk to you all about is so important because it changes everything about our conscience. As you walk out this door tonight or as you turn off your TV tonight, the curtain was up for a real reason. The curtain has been torn by what Jesus did, and now I have this new conscience, right? That's what it says at the very end of the passage. He cleanses our consciences from acts that lead to death. I've got this new conscience. I'll see if I can explain what I think the Lord's taught me about this this week as I've studied it. Um, You guys familiar, we'll we'll keep with the curtain motif, right? Everybody's going to want to get new curtains for their house after this. You familiar with a curtain call in performing? A curtain call. So in performing, there's this thing, if you don't know this, we don't do it after the end of church. <laughs> it's called a curtain call, right? Where you, you basically have done your thing on stage and afterwards you, you go out and you take a bow and people praise you based on your performance, right? And we live, and I think a lot of our consciences how you feel like, let me, let me get, just give you a definition of, con, of conscience for a second. One commentator said it this way, in the Bible, your conscience has to do with your self-evaluation of how fit you are to be in someone else's presence. 
Let me say that again. Your self-evaluation, how you, how you think towards yourself about your ability, to, am I fit? Do I make the cut in your eyes? Am I accepted by you, right? Do I have a clear conscience about that? And we live in kind of a curtain call culture with one another, right? Three C's in a row. Curtain call culture. Perform well, right? Make the right sacrifices, and then you gain approval through your good works, right? We work really hard. Make all the right sacrifices to get the acceptance. Or if you don't make all the right sacrifices, you come up short And what does that lead to? It leads to shame, it leads to failure, it leads to broken relationships. In our world, it kind of works like this. Either my conscience is good based on my earning the applause and earning the acceptance, or my conscience is bad. I don't feel good about myself based on my failure, my inability to live up, right? To get the applause. I think in a lot of ways, that's how we treat one another. That's how we function. Paul talked about this in in 1 Corinthians 4. You can go study it some other time on your own where he's talking about basically the Corinthians and he says, I don't let you judge me in your human courts. Which is effectively he's saying, I don't let you judge me in in the court of your public opinion. He's saying, "My, my feelings or my conscience about myself is not established based on what you think of me. But then he says something really, really crazy, and he says this, I don't even judge myself. So he's saying, I don't don't let what you think about me be the thing that establishes my clear conscience, but what I think about me isn't what establishes my clear conscience. And he says this, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't even make me innocent. So even if I have a clear conscience, that's not what makes me innocent. What does? He says, but the Lord judges me. What's he saying there? He's saying that it's only the Lord's view. It's only what the Lord says that ultimately is the thing that establishes my conscience about myself. And his judgment of me, God's judgment of me on my sin is not based on my performance. It's based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not on my own righteousness And if that's true, it changes everything about how I see myself and everything about how I can choose now to see my fellow man. I'm getting out of the curtain call lifestyle. Right? Because I have a cleansed conscience. Because that curtain, it's not up anymore. The curtain has been torn and the verdict is in. So I can stop judging myself and I can stop judging you. I'm cleansed from sin's guilt and shame and I'm also cleansed. It says there from acts that lead to death. Some of the acts that lead to death in our life are the good works that we try to do in order to earn our acceptance. I'm cleansed from that too. Right? You guys Tombstone fans? film tombstone so good you need to go watch it if you haven't seen it what happened to val kilmer everyone have you seen him recently no yes it's yeah it's anyways sorry distracted i was thinking about this um do you remember the scene where wyatt earp comes to tombstone 
for the first time. And he interacts with Sheriff Behan, I believe it is. And they're talking to one another, and he says to White Earp, he says this, or White Earp says this, I did my duty, now I'd like to get on with my life. I'm going to Tombstone. If you know anything about White Earp, White Earp was like a you know, very famous peacemaking lawman in the West, right? And Sheriff Behan says this, Ah, I see, to strike it rich. Well, all right, that's fine. I'll tell you one thing, though. I never saw a rich man who didn't wind up with a guilty conscience. What's he saying to him? Because he's wanting him to basically step in and, and pick up his duty, make more sacrifices. And White Earp says, I'm, I'm done making sacrifices. I've done my duty. I'm going to get on with my life. I'm going to Tombstone. And he says, I never saw a rich man who didn't wind up with a guilty conscience. Behan's basically saying, uh, what you're about to do, it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead you to a place of having a guilty conscience. And what does White Earp say? He says, I already got a guilty conscience. Might as well have the money, too. Good day now. And you're going to have to think about that one for a second. He's saying, effectively, Behan is saying to Earp, you, you did your duty, and so you, you had a good conscience, but now you're going to go do something and end up having a bad conscience. And what White Earp is saying to him is, no, even when I was trying to do good things, I still ended up with a guilty conscience. I might as well have the money too. You see how it's two sides of the same coin? Behan's saying, hey, if you go try to get rich, you're gonna end up with a guilty conscience. And Earp is saying the same thing when he's saying, yeah, it doesn't matter whether it's my sin or, or the sin of me trying to be good enough. I still am gonna end up with a guilty conscience because I can't shake it. Because the redemption that I need is deeper than my works. It's so deep that it can only be met by the blood of Jesus. And those are the priests that we're called to be. Not people who promote or judge, you know, the bad works or promote the good works, but we are those who offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus now. Right? Everything I do goes through him now. And that means everything I do, every work, everything that I do in my life now goes through the blood. Have you ever gotten like blood stains on your clothing, right? You can't get them out, can you? No matter how hard you try, and that's a great picture. Jesus saying, you're, you're covered in my blood. And you, you can't get out of it. And the blood says this, that if your sins your sins and your, and your shame and all of your past failures, guess what? They can't ruin and bind your conscience if you're looking at, at them through my blood. Because there is therefore now no condemnation, Romans says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. My blood says you can have a clear conscience with an absolute dumpster fire past. And guess what? The blood also says this. You can't do enough good works to ease or establish your conscience. If you're trying to clean up your conscience by performance, you're in trouble. Because you need my blood for those things too. 
He's saying your conscience isn't comforted any more by your good works than it is discomforted by your bad works. Because both of those things, whether you run down the performance road, right, or whether you run down the road of sin and shame, both of those things are acts that lead to death. I mean, just as many people are in counseling today because they grew up in a home of an addict, just as many people are in counseling today who had parents who struggled with addiction, which is, is clear, reckless, like I'm, I'm just leaning in and turned over to my sin, right? There are plenty of people who are in therapy for that. But guess what? There are just as many people who are in therapy because they grew up with self-righteous parents. They're just as damaged, just damaged in a different way. Both things are acts that lead to death. Growing up a home that was sin-saturated or self-righteousness saturated, both things will kill you and set you up for a lifetime of trying to make sacrifices to get right with God and fellow man. So what does this mean for us today? Hang on, a little bit more. Because if you're like me, it is really hard to stay out of those two ruts of, of shame and my sin and my past kind of defines I can never, ever get rid of this guilty conscience. And or the other rut, which is, is I'm going to get rid of this guilty conscience and I just am going to work harder at it and I'm going to get better and gosh darn it, I can figure this out, right? It's hard to put down the Old Testament sacrifices. But for us today, this is, this is significant. Because we can put down that thinking because of the blood of Jesus. And we can put it down for ourselves, but we can also put it down for others. Right? Because in our worlds, I, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about me, but I'm inviting you to consider yourself. Don't we set up our own little sacrificial systems in our relationships with one another? That there's this exact right way to think about and handle everything. And we kind of hold those rules up to everyone around us. I'll, I'll just name some areas. How about this? Politics, sexuality, economics, education, race and reform systems of, of, of systems that we're, we're dealing with. All of those things are, are deeply important and they deserve our time, our focus, and our energy, right? We want to see reform in all of those areas of our life, but reform without first being reconciled, it doesn't work. It's just behavior modification. We can't truly reform without first coming to the blood, right? The Bible speaks to all of those areas that I just said. And God's word speaks to all of those things. He directs and he guides us. But oftentimes, we don't approach those things as humble priests of His, of His heart and His truth. We act like God in our relationships with one another, and we treat one another like this. Your sins or your inability keeps you outside of me loving you, even when we don't agree. Or you're performing the right sacrifices. If you do it just right, then you get into relationship with me, right? I mean, it's at the heart of cancel culture. We're either in cancel culture or we're in ongoing performance culture, right? 
And those are two sides of the exact same coin. Both are sacrificial systems. I'm either sacrificing you because you blew it, or you're sacrificing to get in. And because of the blood of Jesus, we have a a different option. To be priests who say this, this is what the Lord declares is true. But our acceptance, our conscience being clear, our, our view of ourselves is not based on us getting it right because we all have blood on our hands. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So guess what? I'm a priest now of mercy and grace. I'm a priest of the whole truth, right? This is what's true, but here's where I've failed to live up to what's true, but guess what? Jesus didn't. And his blood, not my merit, is what establishes my conscience about me and therefore my conscience towards you as my fellow man. If we had a kingdom of priests like that, there would be powerful healing happening in relationships. Because I would be getting out of the courtroom of my own self-justification, and I would stop putting others in the courtroom of my own self-condemnation. Because I've got a new conscience, and it's cleansed, and it's cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus kills self-righteousness and shame with one fell swoop. And as a result, we become priests who boast in Him. We don't boast in ourselves. And we boast in His grace because first, it's grace for us. I needed that blood. And then it's grace for the world around me. So brothers and sisters, you, the curtain was up and you have been brought behind the curtain because of what this passage says, because of what Jesus has done. The curtain is now down and your conscience is is cleansed from dead works. And so we're free to stop demanding dead works of ourselves and of other people. And we're free now to do what it says there at the end of the passage so that we may serve the living God instead of try to sacrifice to him or sacrifice one another. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you uh, that our consciences uh, can be cleansed to this depth. And Lord, uh, I know that so often uh, I return to the old system where uh, I want to work really hard to get it right, to cleanse my own conscience, or uh, I just live in the shame of all of my failures. And I thank you that this blood that we've sang about and just studied about and we're gonna sing about again uh, cleanses us through your eternal spirit and sets us free to a completely new life, Lord, uh, to where uh, we don't live uh, in our past failures and we don't live uh, for our future good attempts, uh, but we live as those who are washed in the blood. And we can love in a different way. Uh, we can serve in a different way. Uh, and we can, we can mediate an experience of, of who you are to the world around us because we don't value ourselves based on the way that the world values us. Uh, we, we value ourselves and we value others because of what you've done. So set us free, Lord Jesus, uh, as we continue to worship you. We ask this in your name. Amen.